Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan for episode 16. Uh, today's guest is Joe Oliver. Joe is a partner at KO Sports Inc., which is an NHL agency representing some current NHL players uh, with names like Kyle Turris, Ryan Johansson, Jacob Truba, Dylan Larkin, Travis Zajac, Mike Smith, Jack Campbell, uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, they are well represented in the industry. They consider themselves a boutique agency, which means that they are not trying to win the game by bringing in tons and tons of people. They are trying to evaluate the talent that they think has the most potential to become NHL players and move on to NHL careers, uh, which brings in what Joe does for KO Sports. He's been a coach or a scout or a talent evaluator in hockey for now more than 20 years. He is recognized as one of the best evaluators of talent in Western Can Canada, and it's his job to go through Western Canada to identify who these top players are around the ages of 14, 15 years old for the Bantam draft. So he takes his job very seriously. He's uh, He believes in relationships. He believes in development. And today's episode is a really wild ride on what it's like to be an agent in this uh, in this game we call hockey. A lot of questions get answered. We cover a lot of ground here. Uh, Joe is really gracious with his time, and I really, really enjoyed the conversation. So without further ado, I bring you Joe Oliver of KO Sports. All right. Well, welcome to episode 16 here at Up My Hockey. And today we have Joe Oliver. Joe, thanks so much for joining today. I've been looking forward to this. I know we uh, tried to get together in the fall and it didn't seem to work out. So I'm glad we're, uh, we're on here now. I know. Everyone seems to have a little bit more time on their hands right now, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> for sure. Happening. Yeah. Um, how, how has it affected you and what you, and what you guys are doing? Is, uh, what does your days look like? Uh, you know what? We're still uh, we're still working. Uh, different uh, landscape for sure. Um, you know, we're on the phone a lot, talking to clients a lot uh, from the NHL guys down, just kind of having conversations about what they're doing, uh, what they're doing to keep sane in these uh, in these crazy times, and and also all the way down to the young guys who uh, maybe have a different landscape where they've got you know, many months now where they're not on the ice and there's uh, different opportunities for them for, for skating, for training, for, for development. And I, and I know that might sound a little bit weird because they're not able to go out and do things. But, you know, I've told guys, like, if you can have access to any kind of training equipment, uh, you've got a chance to do something now that it, there's no other time that you're able to do it because you've got maybe a clear three months it, and it might even be longer than that. It may be five months where you're not skating. And uh, you know from the game that when you're skating every day, what that can mean for your joints and injuries. And guys don't want to get off the ice. It's like you're, you know, you, you almost have to get mad at them sometimes to say you got to get off the ice. You got to rest your body in one way and train your body in another way. So uh, just interesting now because now I look at it and go, well, these guys can train. They can eat right, sleep right, and hopefully by – by August, if that actually, 
you know, if all the schedules come, uh, you know, come in tune and, and everything gets going, they're going to have a chance to do something maybe they never were able to do before. Yeah. No, I mean, that's amazing. You had on that already. We're five minutes in here and it's, you're talking about opportunities and, and that's exactly what I've been talking about on my platform and with the players that I've been working with is that it's easy to focus on the negative in something like this. And it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm not allowed on the ice and I can't get to a gym and I can't, I can't, I can't. But yes. there is a lot of things you can do that are, might even be more beneficial for you if you want to see them, right? And take advantage of those opportunities. A hundred percent. And then there's the kind of the, uh, the ingenuity part of what you have that you have access to that might be, um, I don't want to say it's not groundbreaking, but it's different than maybe you were doing before. I've told, you know, guys, tell your parents, phone their neighbors, phone their friends. I mean, there's lots of people that have some gym equipment in their house that they thought they were going to use five and 10 years ago that they might, uh, you know, let you use, whether they're dumbbells or barbells and, and that type of thing. But yeah. I had um, one of our clients just, um, a, a young guy that's going to play in the Western Hockey League this year as a 16-year-old, he sent this video yesterday and he's got this driveway and he's got like big chunks of wood, like this big chopping block. And he's talking about how he's using them for squats and stuff. And I was like, that's just amazing. I, I, I love that. That's, yeah. that's what we're talking about. You, you don't have the dumbbells, find a way. Because somebody else is doing it, whether you're doing it or not. Right. A hundred percent. It's almost like Rocky four. I think about Rocky training in Russia there. Um, you know, finding the way, ways to train and, and again, we're being a little bit traditional thinking about training aspect, like your physical body, for sure. I mean, I believe calisthenics is, an ama is a major uh, advantage. Like guys always want to load, load, load. It's yeah, so yeah. much just with your body weight. Um, but it's also a time to work on the mindset. And I know from reading about your website on KO Sports uh, that you guys, that your 360 approach and that your really belief in the development off ice, um, that there's a lot of things these guys can be working on just with their mindset and their heads right now that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to, to look at. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting thing because there's lots of different avenues to kind of go and find that information too. Like I'll talk to guys during the season and we'll talk about like how much do you actually watch games? Do you watch NHL games on TV? And they're like, no, you know, we don't really have that much time. I get a game in here and a game in there. I'm like, you can go online now and you can watch every game from this year. You know, you got, there's a defenseman that you're like, hey, I really like this, this defenseman. He's a small, skilled defenseman. You can go back and you can, you can watch the video of every game that he played. When, when would you have that opportunity before this? Probably never. And also, you know, get you away from the Netflix too. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to, if you want to be curious, like I said, you use that word ingenuity, you want to be curious, there's ways to dig in. And that's I, something that I really try and uh, talk to my players about is, is that, right? Getting curious about the game and about where you want to get to and who you want to be. And you start right. asking different questions, which are going to give you different answers. And now is the perfect time for that. Like, I, I love that. You can be bored stiff or you can be really creative right now. You know, there's. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I got, I'll tell you a quick story. I've got a, a dad. Uh, one of my uh, my clients, dad, he's actually got two boys that I work with. And uh, he's up in his, uh, you know, big shop up north. And he's he's making these shooting nets and, and uh, you know, just this stuff for his kids up there to shoot on. And it's just amazing. Like, it's like, he's like, I got to do this. You know, he, first of all, he's telling me it's to protect his shop. Then the second part of it is he's got these boys who are throwing passes across and doing one timers. And, and uh, it's just an unbelievable little setup that he's got there. But that's, he put the time and, and energy into to do it, to try to figure something out, to, you know, to, to be creative and find a way.
Yeah, hundred percent. I've uh, I've got a couple of my guys to build their own slide boards. I mean, you can buy them too, but I mean, I'm a bit of a traditionalist that way. I think that's an amazing tool for athletes right now. Um, right. Yeah, and what is it? I could build one for forty bucks. You know, I mean, all you do is home go to Home Depot and do it. Right? It's a question of whether you whether you want to do it or right, not. right, right, right. Um, but anyway, so let's get back to you though, Joe, and like how you got started in this agency business. I know you've been at it for a long time. What was your draw, and and what was kind of your genesis story? Well, uh, you know, I was in coaching for a long time. Um, you know, back in the days when my, my brother uh, Dave was playing, I, you know, I felt like I was a bit of a mentor to him uh, as, a, as an older brother. He's seven years younger than, than I was and did a lot of coaching. Coached, uh, you know, when, when he was young. And then when I had kids, I coached my, my son. Um, you know, so you're kind of in the, in the, in the thick of things when you're, you're working with players and stuff. So I you know, I, I, it's something that I really like to do. I like to work with them and uh, kind of worked my way up, coached, um, you know, junior hockey here in Vernon. And uh, when that came to an end, uh, the guy that was my brother's agent, Kurt Hoverhart, uh, Kurt called me and he's like, you know, would you be interested in doing some scouting for me? And, you know, I wasn't sure at the time. I wasn't sure what that, you know, what that would be or what that would look like for me. But I told him I'd give it a try. I, there was some criteria and in that uh, I was not going to go to the ranks and flip business cards to, you know, to 15 and 16 year old kids and their parents and stuff. And uh, he said, no, that's not how I do it. It's really personal. Uh, I believe in what I do. I believe in the process. And uh, if you're willing to do that, then I'm good with it. And so that's, that's really how it happened. And this, this is probably, you know, maybe early 2000, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, so, I, you know, I started going out to watch, games that you know you start watching the western league and then you realize that a lot of those guys have agents and advisors and and stuff already so you know then you got to go back a bit so i went back to you know the midget level and started watching players and you know probably uh one of the first guys that 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 i watched that was you know one of our guys that we kind of recruited and and, and helped along the way was blake como who's in uh, you know who's in, in dallas and mm -hmm. uh he was a midget player um, recently drafted, I think he was drafted the year before by Kelowna in the second round, and uh, then he made the transition to the Western League, played in Kelowna throughout his uh, junior career, and then, you know, he's carved out a really good uh, pro career for himself and, and, and still going. So really proud of that, really proud of him and, and uh, you know, what he's been able to do. And, you know, just, you know, that kind of gets the juices flowing a little bit, and you understand what it's about, and so I did find out after that pretty quick that you had to go back even younger. And we started watching Bantam kids, which it sounds crazy, you know, at the time, but that, that, that is the, the playing field. And so we went out and watched and, you know, I started watching and uh, this is back in the day when this is before all the academies and the CSSHL was, uh, you know, was a, was a big thing. It's, it, it wasn't even around at that point. Um, and uh, probably the, the, the next player that, you know, I watched and watched as a young guy was Kyle Turris. And I watched him and, and met with his family. And, you know, they were gracious enough to uh, uh, introduce me to Kyle at a, at a really young age and, and, and work with him. And, uh, you know, he's, again, one of those guys. He, he chose a different route. He went the BC Hockey League route. Uh, he went the college route. He played a year at Wisconsin and, you know, was drafted in the first round and then went on to uh, establish his, his pro career. So right. that kind of got me going. Um, but things did change throughout the process. You know, the beginning I'm kind of watching, recruiting, and then you get into the development part of it where you understand that these guys need more. They're asking for more. 
I want to help them. I want to help them be the best players they can. So the development part of it became a really big thing for me. And then, um, you know, several years later, as he got kind of a, a group of players that are good players, uh, I decided that uh, I want to get certified by the National Hockey League Players Association and, you know, become a certified agent. You know, I've probably, it's maybe about eight years ago, something like that, that I've been uh, doing that ever since. And still doing all of the same things. You're working with your pro players, you're working with your college players, you're working with your junior players. And, um, you know, now I, you know, you're back kind of, at, at that at that Bantam level and you're you're you know working with families and helping them understand the process and you know it's about 20 years into this thing now and I've got a I think I've got a lot of information to give people and um, you know I'm more than willing to help anybody out for sure. Awesome no that's great what is the just from the the professional side of what you're talking about so like it sounds like at the beginning there when you're finding Blake or finding Kyle, you're not a certified agent, correct? Um, correct. So you identified these players and then was, was it kind of the group then that would represent them as opposed to you individually? Or, or what, what does it matter whether you are or you aren't certified, I guess? What does that mean? Uh, I think at the time, Jason, I, like, I would say to me, it didn't really have any bearing because I, you know, I wasn't sure the direction that I was going to go with this and um, the guy that I worked with, Kurt Overhart, he was really good about making sure that I was involved in everything, the whole process, whether it was contract negotiation, all of that stuff. Uh, so, it, you know, that part of it was that I'd find the players, we'd work with them, we'd work with their family. They'd make the transition at some point in, in being pros and, in, you know, signing a contract uh, at the NHL level and then also a contract with, you know, with us. So, you know, at, at that part, I didn't really think about it. Um, now I understand it. There's, you know, this, the landscape of the, the hockey landscape has changed significantly. If I can, you go back five years or go back 10 years and, you know, let alone the 20 years ago when I they started this. And, um, you know, Kurt, Kurt has these statistics that he brings out. I don't know the specific numbers, but he talks about when he got in the agent business, how many guys were actually certified agents compared to now, how many certified agents are. It's exponentially you know, crazy, the, you know, the growth in the industry. And then each one of these agencies has uh, a group of guys that kind of, you know, go around and, and uh, recruit players and, and families and, and that type of thing. So I understand that process, I guess, from a professionalism standpoint, that was one of the reasons that I made the transition into becoming a certified agent, because I wanted to make sure that they knew uh, that, you know, that, I was working to find the particulars that could help them. I was involved with a group that uh, had a legal background and certainly an experienced background. Uh, and it certainly helped me get my, you know, my, my feet on the ground and, and, and get going. And now I'm able to use that uh, myself the same way that, uh, that I was. And, and I have a couple of younger guys that are working with us now that are doing the same thing. And um, I make sure that I'm involved with all of their guys to make sure that they're getting you know, the, the best treatment that I think that, that they deserve. Right. Perfect. With, with a guy like Blake, uh, how, how did you go about finding him when he sounded like he was at an age where maybe he should have already been found? Did he just not made a decision by that at that point? Or what, what was the story with him? Well, that's an interesting thing because you got to, you know, if you're going back, you know, years and years, it probably wasn't unusual just before players uh, entered the Western league that they actually had somebody that they were working with. It is unusual now, yeah. but, but it wasn't then. Uh, I actually went to the, it was a max tournament. I went to the, the, which is one of the best tournaments. I can tell you that 
Uh, when I don't go, uh, which is right after Christmas, uh, I miss it. It's, it's a really uh, interesting, cool tournament. The, the environment is, is very, it's very good. It's very rich in hockey and atmosphere. And, and uh, I encourage anybody to go and, uh, you know, spend some time there at that Max Center. But I saw Blake play. Um, and I watch this kid and I watch this kid and I'm like, there's, there's something to the kid. And, and then, um, you know, I, I have a conversation with Kurt who, you know, he's obviously the, you know, the agent at that time. And, uh, he reaches out to the family and, you know, that's kind of how it, you know, it kind of evolved from there. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, what you talked about, you had two now, you two, the first guys you identified when one went junior, one went major junior. Uh, that's a question that comes up all the time, and I'm sure you feel that all the time as well. Uh, both produce players. I think the college level produces more players now than it ever has. So, I mean, it's definitely competitive w w with major junior, and it seems like it's a really good place for players to go. Do you personally have a route that you prefer, or do you take everything just as an individual and, and what's best for the kid? Yeah, I think what's best for the kid and the family is, is, is really probably the, the most important thing. Um, there's some logistics with the Western League that maybe aren't part of the equation in the BC Hockey League in that, you know, say a kid from Vancouver or from the Okanagan where we're from, you know, maybe he gets drafted to a team in Saskatchewan or Manitoba. And that's, I, I, you know, quite the distance to be playing junior hockey, being away from home and maybe not being around your, you know, your family environment where in, in, if they don't want to leave, there's 17 now, 18 teams because, Cranbrook has come on board in, in the BC Hockey League where they can stay at home, even if it's relatively, um, you know, close. You know, maybe you're playing in West Kelowna and you're from Abbotsford. Uh, you know, you get on the road. Yeah, if the roads are good, maybe it's a two- to three-hour drive. You get to see your son play. You don't have to worry about, you know, planes and uh, airports and all of that, that stuff. So right. um, I, I think that there's some there's some good in, in, in each of them. There's also some – uncertainty in each of them too uh, you know I think both of them do a really good job of trying to find ways to solve the uncertainty but over time I say like you know the, the question is if I go the BC Hockey League route or the Junior A route um, what if I don't get a scholarship that that is it that can happen happens a lot you know you put all your eggs in one basket this is where I'm going to go I'm going to get a scholarship and it may not happen uh, on the other hand if you're you know you play in the Western Hockey League you don't really know what you're getting out of that road either. Um, you know, they, in, in trying to solve maybe some of the issues that they have in, in the recruiting process, they've come out with a, a new kind of education package where they're able to offer kids that sign as 15-year-olds to a Western League uh, agreement, uh, three years of post-secondary education guaranteed. As long as you're playing hockey and you continue to play hockey as a 15, 16, and 17-year-old, you have that opportunity to uh, to use that, you know, that accrued uh, education money at some point when you go to school. So um, I, I do not particularly have one route that uh, that I think is better than than another. I do think like sometimes you'll have a conversation and somebody will say, it's not that education isn't important to us as a family or important to my son, but, you know, maybe he doesn't feel like he's the best student. And this is why I think he wants to choose route A over B, those type of things. And you might get it the other way where my son's a straight A student, he's a 4.0 and, you know, he wants to go to Harvard or something. So, you know, then that starts to open up the avenue that that might be the best route for them. So yeah. it's, it's interesting. 
Um, there's, there's nobody has that crystal ball that can say either way. I, I take it upon myself and our group, and I know that we spend a lot of time, and sometimes to nauseam, and I'm saying that from the parents' point of view because they probably think that, you know, I'm, I've already had this conversation with them, I've already talked to them, but I want to make sure that they're, it's clear and they understand if they choose a junior A route, this is what can and can't happen. And if you choose the Western League route, this is what can and can't happen. And just so that they know if they're a year, two years, or four years into it, they are completely aware of what those opportunities may or may not be. Right. Yeah. And you I mean, you can, you can have all the information and, and I, I always encourage everyone to do that. Ask the questions where you're going, right? Who's there? What's the depth chart like? What's the coach like? What's the organization like? I mean, like all these types of questions are super critical. Um, but you never do know at the end of the day, too. You just make the best choice that you can. I know personally, and I wonder if you guys think of this as, uh, from an agent standpoint. Well, I'm sure you do. But uh, I was a 15-year-old in the BCJ uh, playing for Penticton. And at the time, a very highly regarded prospect in the world of hockey. And, and as probably most guys my age in that position, I was like, well, I'm going to be in the NHL at 19, I thought, you know, or, right. or maybe 20 at the latest. And and then my next question was, well, if I'm going to get drafted from this league, I'm going to play in this league for three years. This will be my third year in this league, um, which I didn't think was a good thing, right? Like I wanted to be right. in the WHL because I thought that was going to be more exposure, you know, better competition, higher draft pick, you know, this, that, and the other. I mean, not that it didn't work out, I wouldn't say, but it would be interesting to see that other side of it because the development, you have a little bit longer runway. Um, oh, for sure. With the college side, right? Yeah. Um, but, you mean, it is hard. I mean, that is hard to, you know, there's not many guys that get drafted really high from that league. You know, that's the, I mean, if you had like a real high prospect to go on the top 10 from the BCJ is quite rare. There, there is the odd exception. But, you know, WHL is usually a little bit higher regarded when it comes to those top guys. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I think the league as a whole is scouted, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say more fiercely than, than the BC Hockey League. I think the BC Hockey League is like it's, it's the afterthought. Like if, if there's like a player that people know is a good player in the BC Hockey League, the NHL scouts um, need to go and watch that player and watch him. But are they going out, you know, and, and, and watching every game to see who those guys are the same way they would in the Western League? There is, that just doesn't happen. And, and that's not their fault. There's just, it's a numbers thing is you're thinking of a, maybe a, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday set. Well, how many games can you get to? If I go to the Western League, like you say, there, there might be uh, in, two, in, in two teams, there might be eight guys that are draftable players that people are going to have notes about and have some information. In the BC League, there might be two, maybe even one, right? But, you know, I mentioned Kyle Turris was the third overall pick in his NHL draft. But what that does is it, it forces all those NHL teams to come out and pay attention to the league. And other guys get a benefit from that too. Yeah. Like you said, though, it's like, it's just there's not enough of them on a regular basis maybe to draw the attention or the same attention from, yeah. from the NHL. Well, that's just uh, the, the inability to project too, which I know scouts are supposed to be great at. But, I mean, how does that guy project in the WHL? How does he project at the, at the NHL level, right? Because right. it is a little bit of a different league. I mean, I had, the, I had the, um, the privilege of playing with Paul Correa the year I was there as a 15-year-old. And, and we know he went fourth overall and was obviously ended up being a Hall of Famer. Uh, 
but that was interesting at the time. You mean guys loved him. He's had 130 points, I think, in like 45 games in that league. Ended right. up, you know, crushing it in Maine as well and was obviously the real deal. But there was the questions at the time. I mean, can he's a small guy. He's quick. Can he do this right. at a different level, you know? And, right. uh, and it's hard to be that good and still go that high. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with you. I mean, it, I would love to be able to do both. I mean, my personal thing, and I've said that on this, on this podcast before, is that I really wish they change it at some point where you can, you can play WHL games and still get a, a college scholarship. Like, why, why that has to be in there, I have no idea who that – I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, it just really right. – it's a hard decision to make at 15 years old for these parents and for these – for these players, right? Like, yeah, no, it's, it's, an, it's, it's, well, you, these kids are 14 turning 15 and you get a Western league contract put in front of you. And it's not, it is a really tough choice. Cause again, you don't know, you know, what that result may be. And I use the word, and I use that, the analogy, the runway as well. Um, like the, the runways can, is quite a bit shorter in the Western hockey league. You're right though. The exposure is higher. I think the level of play in general is, is higher because there are more, better players that play at that level and it doesn't mean that everybody that plays in the western hockey league is a great player and i remember when uh, you know my brother dave uh, came back and he was uh, working with colorado at the time and he wanted to go to a game in uh, in Kamloops. and i just said hey i'm just letting you know so before you go there just because it's the western league doesn't mean that everybody's a stud on, the, on those teams right and he's you know it, but that is the reality people think that it might be and then you yeah. go there and you you realize, but there are for sure, there's more better players like in that league. Uh, and there's another thing too, in that at the Western league level, there's only three twenties on every team in the BC hockey league, there's six twenties on every team. So the league is a little bit older, you know, at, at the BC hockey league level, I, I will tell you a bit of a pet peeve of, of mine is uh, uh, hockey Canada changed the rules a number of years ago when it comes to the import and the status of an import and who is an import uh, into say BC, which is, uh, I think it's widely known as the, the best junior A league in Canada for NCAA scholarships. Um, statistically, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but when, back when you were a young guy and you're 15 and you're playing, um, there was, I think, uh, a, a development part of, you know, the, the structure of the league to bring in say 15 year olds like you and 16 year olds and bring these guys on and mentor them and, and they're going to be better as 16 and 17 and 18 years old. And, and the, kind of the league has a chance to kind of, you know, grow. Um, if you look at the number of 16-year-olds that are in the BC Hockey League now, there's not very many. And the reason is, is that, you know, a kid finishes high school in, in uh, Ontario right now. He can, he can take a lateral and just come right to BC and play as long as he's done school. He's not an import anymore. Back when you played, he would be considered an import. And you were restricted to how many imports you could have. So as a coach, if, if you're trying to win a game and, you know, you've been around this, do you win more games with older veteran players or do you win more games with the younger kid? Mm -hmm. Generally, it's the older kid unless he's like, uh, like a Paul Correa or a, a Kyle Turris or something. Um, but the, you know, so now you look at it and say maybe there was one or two guys that would make a team. Now, now there's maybe one every three or four teams, yeah. which I really – it bothers me because I think it, it does affect the development of say, even like BC kids and uh, you know, kids that are grinding it out and playing and just, I want an opportunity. I think I can play at that level. Um, but you got to remember there's other players coming in that may be older and more mature and, you know, maybe have a better chance of taking the spot there. 
Yeah, well, that was a big decision for us because I remember that that was that was the decision. I whether we were going to play in Vernon, and I mean Vernon's kind of been the same perennial kind of franchise for quite a while now, and and they were at the time too. That was right when Dave had pretty much just been been through. They'd won their first championship, and Mel List was running the show there, and they kept. I mean, they wanted to keep winning, right? And like you, you just said, so I mean, they would usually add to the lineup. Uh, in the second half of the season, you know, they'd bring in more older guys again and, you know, kind of rev up for the playoffs. And and Mel wanted me to play that year, but we kind of looked at the history and was just like, well, maybe I might be on the outside looking in here potentially at, at the end of the year. Right. right. And then Gary Davison in Penticton, uh, who's, you know, he's still involved and he's with, uh, Love Gary. You know? yeah, great yeah. guy. He yeah. was the coach and GM then. And he was, he was just really straightforward and honest and just said, no, you're going to have a place here. I mean, we're, we, we're not going to do that here. Like he was, he was a little bit wired differently. Like you said, he was more about development. We felt comfortable there and, um, and he held true to his word. I mean, I scored 20 goals there as a 15 year old and I think I helped the team, but he put me in a position where I could, where I kept, was able to keep playing, but that was the choice that we had to make. Right. Like right, where, right. where do we think we're going to have a better chance? And, um, and that was a really good precursor for me to get to the WHL for sure. I mean, that league was an awesome, it's a good league, really good. Yeah. league, Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a good stepping stone as opposed to coming from minor hockey into there as a sixteen year old, be able to play BCJ against twenty one year old men, right, right, that are trying to break your face, and uh, right, right, you know, right, and then you right. know what's going on once you yeah. get to WHL. But um, you talked about development and that being a, a really big key to what to what you're about. You I mean everyone? Well, maybe I mean it's obvious to me because I've been through it. But I mean, you guys don't get paid unless somebody signs a contract. So, you know, I mean, finding these guys at Bantams, you're investing a lot of time uh, and probably a lot of money, I assume, with what you're doing with these guys to get them ready to be able to sign a contract. I mean, the development aspect is just as important for you as an agency as it is for an NHL team with their prospects. Um, how do you go about doing that, developing these guys? What's, what's the process? Uh, well, it is a long process, as you said. I mean, kids are drafted. The uh, 2005s were just drafted this year. And uh, you look at it's three years, they're three years removed, depending on their birth dates, uh, to being drafted into the, na- the NHL, where their first opportunity uh, that they would have to, to be drafted at the NHL level. Um, and then there's obviously the development after you get drafted. So uh, the, the time frame is, is long. I think it's more of conversations. It's identifying certain things about players. Um, I will tell you, like, you know, five, ten years ago, I'm looking at maybe different things uh, then than I am now. And part of it is the direction that the game is going. Um, you know, the speed of the game, you can't deny it. It's, it's quick, it's fast. Uh, you got to be able to think and, and play the game at a, at a really furious pace. And I don't see that changing. So, you know, I mean, it sounds obvious to say you're looking for skaters and then you're trying to help people become better skaters. Um, but everybody should be working on their skating, uh, you know, pro guys down. It's just the way it is. If you're not, somebody else is. So I think it's the idea of kind of identifying each player and then trying to figure out what they need. Some guys need to be, you know, there's some time they're going to put on some uh, some maturity, some physical strength, uh, and it might take two or three years. They might be behind lots of guys that are maybe just naturally physically more mature. Uh, and But you see something in them and you continue to work with them and you're trying to figure out a way that you can help them uh, not not fast track it, but make sure they're on track. And I will tell you that's, I mean, it's a huge thing. Like Dave, Dave, my brother, Dave and I, we have these conversations all the time. He's got a couple of young boys. I talk about like 
opportunities. And, and, and as you make the adjustment, you say, I've been drafted in the Western Hockey League, well, what's the next opportunity? It might be major midget. It might be a, um, you know, a U18 midget prep team or something. The sooner that you can make the adjustment to whatever that opportunity is, the better chance you're going to have to succeed. It's, it's, there's, there's no gray area there for me. So if you look at it and you say, well, I'm going into this, if I'm, you know, smaller, weaker, um, but I can, I can still think, I'm not, and you can't take that away, but if I never have the puck because physically I can't get to the puck or I can't keep the puck, well, then I'm behind the eight ball all the time. So I, if, you, if I look at it and say the quicker that you can physically put yourself in a, a position to compete and, pete, and compete at whatever that level is, you're not – a kid that's drafted on a bantam that's going to play midget, he's not competing at the NHL level. But he's, he's still got to make sure that he's physically ready to compete the next year. Because the next year, these guys that play U18, there's kids that are two years older than that. So what is the difference? If I go there and it takes me, you know, six months and, and the, the season's over and I just start getting on track, a lot of guys that were more physically ready, maybe they get the accolades. Now, there's lots of time to do it and everybody kind of physiologically is different. So you can't necessarily fast track, but I like them to at least think this is what I need to do in order to be successful. So um, it's not specifically a weight thing, uh, but it is a traction thing. So for example, a player might be drafted and he says, well, you know, he's uh, 160 pounds. He's 5'11 and 160 pounds. I'm like, that's fine. I've had guys that played in the BC Hockey League at six feet, 150 pounds, were drafted you know, into the NHL at that weight. It's fine. But what's the goal here? So you start to set some increments that you need to get to this in order to make that next step. So that's a huge thing for me. Like, and it also shows me how dedicated, how consumed they are with, with trying to be better. So you know, I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. I see it over and over. You see the kid at Bantam, and he's physically bigger, but he might be—he might just have grown, you know, right. early, and he—and he's dominant because he's physically able to hang on to pucks. And this skinny guy can't—he's there and he makes plays, but he can't—he can't break through. It's okay, but but you better be working on it. You better be thinking, I need to close that gap, and I see it over and over. Well, over the next two years, as long as you make the commitment to do it, you start to close that gap, and you'll pass that. No, hundred percent. I think that's part of, well, what this, well, I guess you guys are technically part of the scouting community because you need to identify talent too and project talent just as much as the WHL scouts do. And the better you are at that, the, you know, the more often you get paid. And I think that's the differentiator is understanding when you look at a kid who's 14, is he dominant because of the physical assets that he has that are maybe happening earlier than somebody else right is he really more skilled is he really a better skater or is he just bigger and stronger because a lot of times that changes in three or four years right a hundred percent it does yeah. the next two to three years after that draft there's a complete complete kind of changing of the playing field because that guy that was like a, like a beast of a young man when he was playing at 14 he didn't shrink but his peers grew yeah. you know they started getting physically taller and and, uh, and stronger and all of a sudden now all of those skills that they have now they're able to kind of shine through and and maybe that guy has a difficult time now, occasionally that kid he's also got the skills too and he can continue on and, and be a good player but I do think that if you look at it and say 
in order to continue on the trajectory that I want to be a good midget player the next year, I want to make a transition into playing junior, I better be preparing myself for it. Because those days of time and space on the ice, and I can, you know, look back and think, you know, and when my brother was a junior and probably, you know, you were just after him, there seemed to be tons of time and space on the ice, even at the junior A level. Now there's not. Why? Because there's more better players that are faster. Uh, they don't have to be all terribly skilled, but they can cover the distance in a really short period of time, which makes your job as a goal scorer, if I, if I have the puck and somebody's in my face all the time, there's just not as much room to make the play that I want to make. Yeah. So you got to be able to do it all. And if you can make that transition physically and you have the skills, you're, you're in a, you know, a pretty good spot. Sure. And, and ultimately, that's what we're looking for. There is one interesting thing I saw from last year's draft. I, I haven't had a chance to break down this year's draft yet, but it was uh, judging the draft by date of birth. And, um, and it was – my percentages aren't going to be accurate. Don't hold me to me. But it was something like 40% of the draft was drafted in the first three or four months of the year. Like 40% of the players taken were January through uh, March or April birthdays. Right. And then if you looked at the back – the last quarter, like uh, October, November, December, it was like 2% of the players taken in the draft were from those, from those uh, birth months, which blew me away because it's exactly what we're talking about, right? Like right. a lot of these guys are standing out because they're older and physically more mature. Right. And it's at that exact age where guys are going through puberty and getting bigger. And so a lot of these younger guys are getting less behind, but hundred uh, percent. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's just a note to the guys that are listening right now, you know, like that the scouting community is only doing what they're seeing right now, you know, and they're trying to do the best that they can, but, um, you know, they're guessing and, and, you know, give yourself some time. If you're a guy that's a little bit smaller, a little bit, you know, skinnier, like it, it, that does a lot for you on the hockey ice when you start filling out and, and filling into your body and it will happen. So. No, I agree with that a hundred percent. And you know, you, you really can't get caught up in it. Like I would say when you talk about scouting, like an NHL uh, scout is going to watch say a major junior, or a junior a or a college game. And they're watching these players. Like they're, they're way closer to being men. And they have a tough time. Yeah. So then you look at it and say, well, you know, you've got all these guys covering, you know, these uh, cold rinks, dark, dank rinks somewhere in, in Western Canada in the, in the, for the Western League. Um, and, you know, you, you look at it and say, well, now this guy's expected to look at his 14-year-old and see where, the, you know, he's going to be. I don't think that there's any tougher scouting job on the planet, for sure when it comes to hockey, than, than a – a Western League scout because you remember in the in the O and the Q they're drafting players a year older than they are in the Western Hockey League so I just think like these guys are up against it they they're, they're going to be wrong way more than they're right and it's really not their fault because you go into a room and you've got say they got 10 scouts and everybody's pounding their fists on the table saying hey you know Johnny's Johnny's the best and some guy might be in the corner thinking well, this other guy, he's so skilled. Like, I just, I, I, I think we should take this guy. But Johnny's just crushing him every time he's on the ice. Like, it's old school. And these guys are going to take the, that bigger, stronger guy almost every time. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Do you know, I don't want to spend too much time there. But do you know why the WHL picks a year earlier? Like, it make, seems to make absolutely zero sense. I don't. I don't know. It's obviously been going on for decades. And we have these, these conversations every year. You know, this year with the COVID-19 thing and, and all the, the hockey being suspended, you know, there's a, a couple of guys in the hockey community that, uh, from a Western League perspective, said maybe this might be the, the year that they should have made that transition and, uh, and gone to the year older 
because there is no uh, U16 stuff going on. So the U16 used to be like a big bearing. These guys would go to, you know, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, um, and, and, and watch these guys that last time to see them up against the best players from your province and see them. Well, it didn't happen this year, but you know, obviously the, you know, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to change overnight. And I don't, I don't really see it changing for a while for sure. Right. That might be, well, there's two things I want to hit on. One is like we talked about, we've been focusing on the physical development and the physical growth and maturity, uh, which like you say is a little bit more, uh, it's come to fruition a little bit more at that 18 year old level, but it still hasn't even quite yet. You know, I mean, a lot of guys will fill out later, 21, 22, like they hit their, their kind of man strength uh, ages a little bit later than some other guys do. But how about the physical, I mean, the emotional and the psychological maturity, like that's another scenario that I think at 14, like these guys are just starting to figure that out again at the next level at an 18 year old, you're a little bit more, you know, matured that aspect, but not fully, you know? So it's like, now you're bringing that element in. And, and I, I know you guys worry, well, I shouldn't say worry is the wrong word, but I know you guys focus on that a little bit, the emotional and, and psychological side. Uh, how big of a deal is that, do you think, to becoming the best hockey player you can be? I think it's huge. I, 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 you can't emphasize enough uh, kind of the, the mental part of the game uh, the, the stepping stones that you got to get over, uh, you know, coaches and teams and drafts and general managers and, and peers and teammates and, you know, all of those things that ultimately are always put in front of you. What do you do? What do you, what do you do with it? Uh, and, and this is where like I use, you know, my, my brother as an example and I, you know, I hope I was a good mentor for him when, when he was going through it and dealing with it at the junior level and the college level and the, and the pro level. Um, because I'm having those, you know, those same conversations with kids that are 14 and 15 and talking them, you know, through things and we can, you know, you, you want to leave a conversation. I always say with some light at the end of the tunnel, but at the same time, there's sometimes there's these huge obstacles and we got to figure out a way for that player to get beyond it. Um, and I tell guys all the time, and I tell the parents this too, I know you think it's a really tough time right now, but I'm going to tell you the big picture. What I believe is the big picture. This tough time that we're going to go through right now is going to help you in a huge way in two years, four years, six years, because the coach that isn't playing you, the coach that's sitting you in the stands, the coach that doesn't put you on the power play, all of those things are irritating. And, and, they, and they, they grind you and they drive you down. How strong are you? Are you able to overcome that? Because you're not going to have this coach for the rest of your career, maybe not even the rest of your, your junior and minor hockey career. Um, but ultimately, if, if you can use that, you, you're going to be put in a position like this as a pro. I don't, the best players in the National Hockey League, you know, I don't, people talk about the Sidney Crosbys of the world, like somehow it was like easy for him. It's not like there's always these things that happen along the way. And you use these personal experiences, these tough times to kind of figure out a way to get through it and their life skills too. It's not just for hockey, but, but ultimately, you know, those are the, the kind of the mental things that happen. It's like, you, you're a good player, you're a good player, you're a good player. And then all of a sudden somebody pulls the rug out from under you. What do you do? I, I, I know for sure. Like some people, they can't, they can't understand it. The parents don't understand it. And they're maybe more inclined to quit than kind of keep going, keep persevering and get through it. 
Um, sometimes you just have to have that conversation and try to find a way. Yeah. But it, 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 and it's and it's never ending. As as you know from playing the game, you know you can score three goals in one game and feel like you're on top of the world, and then you don't score for five games and you think, oh my god, like what you know what am I going to do now? I can't score. That's just that's the nature of the game, and you got to find a way through it. Yeah. You know, and then then at some point there's a coach or a GM or a, a teammate. They're they're maybe holding you accountable, but they've taken you off the power play. You got to find a way. The tough, the tough mental part of that that game. If you can find a way to get through it, uh, you can use it for the rest of your life in in many different ways. But certainly in the game of hockey, for sure. Right. Thanks so much. Just going to take a short break here and just remind everyone to please review and share the podcast. Uh, that is the ultimate way to help grow this thing is your word of mouth and by you leading digital reviews. So if you like the content, if you like what you're hearing, please take the time. It doesn't take long and, uh, and share the episode or review the episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Now back to the interview. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I love what you're talking about there because I, what, not only do I believe it, but I mean, that's, ex that's one of the things that I teach. And I believe that stuff can be taught, you know, like, I think that the science out there uh, is, is, is one pointing a picture, I mean, pointing you where to go and, and even how to do it. And, and a lot of these guys, parents included, like are so focused on the physical element that they're forgetting that aspect of it, like how you approach a problem is something that you can actually learn and something that you can right. practice, you know, like you, you're saying it without saying it right now. And it's like that, that power play is a perfect scenario, right? Like a lot of people and a lot of players will look for what's wrong with that scenario, right? What the problem is. The coach doesn't like me. He doesn't think I'm good enough. You know, I'm, I, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. And, and, and all these thoughts start happening with that scenario, as opposed to asking yourself, Hey, what's good about this? Or where's an opportunity in here for me? to show the coach, where do I need to get better? Right? Like, so it's the same right. experience, but you're training yourself to look at it from a point that's going to empower you, not disempower right. you. Right. And, um, and boy, I mean, that is such a powerful spot you can get in. And when you can get these guys thinking like that, I mean, you start overcoming these things and it's not, it's not as much of a grind, it's still hard, but it's not as much of a grind, you know? Well, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And what you're doing is you're just, you're adding something to yourself personally. Like personally, you're able to kind of add a building block that, that you need at some point in, in your life. And, you know, if you, you get enough of those blocks that you're, you're, you're putting in there, like these are things that I'm going to use at some point in my life. Um, but maybe it's not, maybe I'm not able to use it the way I, I, I think I want to be able to use it now, but I'm having a conversation. Maybe they're having a conversation with me as an, as an advisor or as an agent and saying, this isn't the worst thing. We just have to find a way. You still have to find a way to get better. You have to find a way to get through this. There's six months left in the year. There's two months left in the year, whatever it is. You got a great summer ahead of you, but we're going to use this. You're going to use this the, the next year and the year after. The guys start to kind of maybe change that, that focus on this is such a negative thing. But I'm sure that, you know, you and your career, you've kind of been through some stuff where it's like, um, there's, it seems like whether there's a person, a team, something going to that, that, that wants to tear you down, they're just tearing you down, they're tearing you down. And, and that's life. You could be a ditch digger or you could be a doctor and there's still people out there that may be approaching you in the same way. So from a personal skill standpoint, if you can figure it out and you can weather the storm and understand that you've gotten better because of it, I just think it's, 
it's infinite what you can use uh, for your career and your life after that, for sure. Yeah. And it's something that uh, it's something that organizations are actually attracted to. You know, the the guy that through those scenarios does not only like keeps himself on an even keel, but makes other people around him better. Like, I mean, nobody wants that guy in the room that's just excuses and down on himself and whoa me right like that's not serving you in that aspect either because I mean it's a team sport at the end of the day and sometimes we forget about that when things aren't going well right we're really worried about ourselves and uh and that's not serving you as where you want to get to at all a hundred percent and I'll go even one step farther from from a parental standpoint is that in this game and maybe in life in general but certainly in this game there's no room for poor me no room and parents have to understand that too, because when player X doesn't get on the power player, doesn't get on the penalty, it's like, it's, it's poor me, poor John. He's getting screwed by the coach. He's getting screwed, whatever it is. If, if you're having that conversation with your kids, they start to believe it. And once you start to believe it, you're, 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 you're almost kind of blocking yourself from getting better because they believe that you're, you can't get over this. My, my parents are, are basically throwing in the towel by saying it's, it's poor me. You know, and I've had parents that have said, well, I don't really, I don't say that in front of my son. And I go, well, you shouldn't say it at all. The, the reality is, is that we have, you have to find a way. And the players that find a way usually have, a, they certainly have a much better chance of succeeding. But I've seen this, Jason, in, in, my, uh, in my career where I've gone up and watched the junior game we're a really good player and he's missed one shift, like one shift on the power play. And I've, and I've been after the game and his, and his parents would, he'd come up and say, well, why did you miss that one shift? Like they saw that one shift that they missed. And he said, well, coach didn't think I worked that hard. And it's a, I've seen the guy throw up his hands and go, Oh, you're getting screwed. You know? And I'd be like, you gotta be kidding me here. Like, like seriously, first of all, take that outside. He, he doesn't, he doesn't need to hear that. But, but I will tell you, like, if the, if the kids hear it enough, they start to believe it. And it, it isn't about getting screwed. It's just life isn't fair. It's just not. And if you have this, I line up and I, everybody told me I was the best guy. And I, I find out now that I'm not the best guy. You're not getting screwed. Work to be the best guy again. Right. And, and I, I can, like, there's stories. I, I remember a, a kid that was a really highly touted Bantam player, first round draft pick in the Western Hockey League. And, and he went, when he made the transition to play um, midget, the first time, the first thing the guy says to him, the coach, is that I'm not going to put you up on a pedestal like all your other coaches have. How, how would he know that, that they all put him on a pedestal? Like he didn't, and the, and the kid's like, well, I, I, you know, I'm 15 years old. Like I, I just want to play the game, you know. I wasn't thinking about any pedestals here, right? But at the end of the day, like he's that good, but he just keeps working and it's not like the guy's holding him back, but he's to make that statement, I think is, you know, the kid could have gone, well, I guess, I'm, I guess I'm going to get screwed here. And, and just kind of said, well, it's not going to work, but he didn't, he just looked at him and thought, you know, this guy's crazy, but I'm just going to keep working hard. And for sure, he's running the power play and the whole bit, obviously as the, as the course of the season goes on and he's playing in the Western league, uh, you know, he's playing his 15 year old games. He's playing as a 16 year old. Why? Because he's good. He's just really good. Even though, Somebody had to go out of their way to tell him, I don't think you're as good as maybe everybody else said you were. Right, so, right. But, but he, didn't, he didn't say, I, I'm getting screwed. He just said, I'm, hey, this guy doesn't love me. 
I'm just going to work harder. And he did. Yeah, well, that's a mindset thing. And I, I think what you were saying there before, and it, it's crazy you're saying that because it's exactly what I've been saying. I, I, I'm in my mindset 101 training that I, that I talk about. I, I talk about like your, your, your idea or your meaning of the experience. So you're saying like the parents are saying you're getting screwed or, you know, this is a big problem and you're a victim essentially in this scenario, right? When you start thinking those things, it leads to different thoughts, which leads to different feelings, which leads to different actions, right? What type of actions are you going to be taking in that scenario, exactly, right? Exactly, right. And then what kind of results are you going to get? So you right. get shitty results too. And then which, which then manifests, the, like it, 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 it creates the whole scenario again. You're like, yeah, I told you so. See, I was getting screwed, Yeah. right? So yeah. like, like you say, this, so you get caught in this loop that completely doesn't serve you. And it really is the meaning that you gave to it in the first place. So like we're in, we are in control and the parents totally either help or hurt that process. And um, anyone you surround yourself with, I say to these young, these young guys, like, be very careful about what you're hearing and who you're surrounding yourself with, because it becomes contagious. And, and uh, you know, you, you want to be thinking the right things, because it's hard enough, man. It's hard enough without it, the wrong thing. It, it, it is hard. And there's, you know, being around other kids and other parents, you, you see different things as well. And, and if there was, if there's any advice, you know, I would say in the, in the hockey environment, and the hockey environment is when you're dropping your, you, you drive your kids to the game and they're, you're at the game, you could be at the end of the rink, you could be waiting for them in the lobby, you're in the hockey environment. And in that environment, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if your son's not getting on the power play or he's not getting, it's a stiff upper lip, just, just be a good parent, be supportive of your kid. Good job, Johnny, you worked really hard. And then when you get home, it, it's not about, you know, the ride home about, you know, again, the whole getting screwed and stuff. Maybe have a conversation and say, hey, what do we need to do to get better? Right. Just what, what do we need to do? Like, let's not worry about that, that, that issue that is manifesting. And, and nine times out of ten, it's manifesting way more in the parent than it is in the kid. But, but the, the parents can't control themselves. They get in the car and they have to talk about it on the way to the game. They got to talk about it on the way home to the game. And I just love your kid. Like, love your kid. Hey, you, you worked really hard. You know, he had some good chances. Give him some time to digest. You know, give him a, you know, a meal when he gets home. What do we need to do to get better? Yeah. Right? That's all. And then, like, he might tell you, hey, you know what? Like, you know, I, uh, I, you know, I, I guess maybe I need to go shoot some more pucks. I have some opportunities, but I, I didn't put him in the net. I need to, you know, you start talking about the structure of what you can do, you know, rather than just saying, you know, this, this isn't going to work. Right. You know, 100%. You have to empower your player, whether you're a parent or whether you're an agent or whether you're a coach, right? You have to show a potential for a solution. As soon as right. you start talking about, about blocks and about problems and about, you know, then you're a victim and now it's out of your control and now you're defeated. So, I mean, don't tell them what's wrong as a parent. I say that all the time. Ask them about what, what, like you said, how do you get better? What can you do that's right? How is this working for you? Right? Like, what do we, what do we got to do? Those are better questions. Um, I want to touch on the whole, like what you talked about with the under 16 scenario and, and this year, I looked at the draft and it looked to me very, very, very um, academy driven, more so than normal. Um, do you think that the lack of that last hurrah there in the, at the provincial level gave the minor hockey kids less of an opportunity to showcase against these academy kids? Yes. Yes, I do. And they would tell you that too, that it's just, it's, it's the nature of the beast in that, from a scouting perspective, uh, all of these Western League scouts would tell you that the majority of games that they have seen would be the CSSHL games. 
Uh, it's no disrespect to them. They, you know, they, they, they put it in a pretty neat package in that they have uh, some, some really good events as far as these tournaments and stuff that these guys go to. Uh, and and these, these other teams are at these tournaments too. But then it's, it's like you said when it comes to the, uh, the BC Hockey League and the Western League. I'm trying to compare apples to apples, but the apples aren't the same. They're, they're, they're not. They're, they're different. So if I can watch, say, two, two good teams, I can watch uh, Yale and Delta Green play. They're like two of the better, uh, you know, Bantam prep teams. I'm going to go watch, and, and almost every one of those players is going to be draft eligible. Almost every one of them. Now, on Sunday, there's a major bantam, which is a fairly new thing in, in BC. I'm going to go watch a, a major bantam game, and it might be in Vancouver. It's really close. It's convenient the whole bit. But at the end of the day, it, there might be only six guys that are draft eligible. They're all draft eligible that are second year. But in their mind, they, they're already uh, – the preconceived notion is that there's a highly uh, – high probability that the most of them aren't going to be drafted. Right. And so how much are you investing into that? How much are you investing into the drafting? And then again, when you go into the boardroom and everybody's banging fists and stuff on the table and saying, who do we like? It's going to be predominantly the CSSHL players for sure, because they've played at a level that is, is, is really high, consistently high throughout the year. So, and I, and I do believe that it's wrong. Like I do think that there are, there's kids that, you know, play the different levels of bantam hockey. Um, you know, the, obviously the major bantam, the, the zone bantam. Um, I, I think if, if they're given the same uh, level of attention, yes, maybe the competition's different. But if you're looking at this from, hey, listen, I'm watching the players. I'm watching them skate. I'm watching them move. I'm watching them think. I'm watching them compete. You, you know, it, it doesn't keep you from saying, I like that player. And to, to be completely candid with you, we had that exact same thing happen for us this year where I went to uh, a Bantam tournament, uh, the, uh, the Pat Quinn tournament, which is down in Vancouver at Christmas time. And, you know, I've obviously seen all of the CSHL uh, players. Most of them that came, came out. There's a big tournament in Abbotsford at the beginning of, of October. But now I'm going here. And, and there's, there's two kids that I'm watching that are playing on this major Bantam, and I like them, and I like them a lot. So, you know, I got to watch them. I got to bring my, my, my colleagues out, and I got to say, like, listen, you know, I want you to watch these guys. They're not, they're not playing against the best competition, but they're good. And then those teams get invited because they're good teams to go and play against these other teams, like the Delta Greens and stuff. And do they win? No. Uh, are the games close for the first 30 minutes? Usually they are. Do they get kind of crushed at the end and lose by, you know, six to eight goals maybe? Yes. Yes, they do. But you can still see that good player. You can still see whether he's competitive. You can still see if he can skate and think and move a puck, even though he doesn't have the same group around him to play with. Uh, and, you know, we are working with two of those players for that specific reason because I believe they both got drafted. Um, in, in the Western League draft here, you know, last week. But ultimately, I, if they weren't drafted, I'd be okay with it as well. I am. They're, they're, I, it's like you believe in what you see. And then, you know, going to maybe, uh, you know, your topic earlier, what are you going to do to help these guys develop so that over the next two to three years, they're going to catch those guys that were drafted in the first round or the second round or the third round? It just makes it tough um, 
I mean, from the parent standpoint, like I, I told you earlier, like a lot of the people that are listening are parents here. And then there's, there's this anxiety about, do I need to mortgage my house? You know I mean? To get into these Academy programs. Cause I mean, they're not cheap, right? I mean, so it's an expensive league to play in and, and the proof is in the pudding. It seems like, and again, it's unfortunate because this year more so than other that, that, that more of these kids got drafted than even usual, which even is a stronger indicator that you need to be there to get recognized. Um, I hear from what you're saying, though, it sounds like you actually do believe like there's a big divide from the academy program to like the top minor hockey provincial program, which what would you say that league is like with the Okanagan Rockets and like the, what, the major what, Bantam league? Well, it'll the be major the Bantam league. U15, I think they'll call it this coming year because they're right. changing all the, the monikers. But do, do I think there, there is, is that a big difference. of a, a divide? Hey, it's. It's, um, well, first of all, you got to remember that the academies all recruit teams. Like it's not a, it's not a junior team or a college team, yeah. but they're recruiting teams. They have tryouts. They bring guys in and they say, Hey, you know, this guy's good. They always fill the roster with guys that are willing to pay that money that you're talking about. But I am, but generally there's going to be, you know, I, I would be surprised if there's not six to 10 really good players on each one of those teams um, based on the fact that they have to try out and, and you know, to participate in those teams. Right. Yes, the tryout thing is they have a tryout for Major Bantam and all of that stuff too, but it's, it, I, I think the, the, the level is, is different. Uh, but I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not against the level being different either because, it, you know, there's other things that, are, that it forces you to do. Your, your question about should you mortgage the house and put $30,000 into an academy if you could play major bantam and have a really good year, meaning you get lots of puck touches, lots of ice time, um, you get to go to some of these tournaments. You know, you might not get to go to the best ones, but there's there, there's other ones too that are that are at least equally challenging. Like NEX puts a big tournament on the same way that this uh, there's a, a big bantam tournament in Edmonton, the John Reed tournament. It's yeah. a great tournament, but at the same time, NAX, which is an academy team, they put on a tournament as well. And some would consider that to be maybe a second-tier tournament. I look at it like it's a second opportunity to watch players. And I, I will tell you that we've got players out of that tournament the last two years that we've gone to that tournament just basically because we get a chance to see them play. And they might be, um, you know, major Bantam teams. They might be uh, E15. Like, even in the academies, there's a kind of a lesser teams in, in, in those leagues too. So there's, there's different layers that you, you get to see. But, yeah, I mean, that that, profe- that provincial level at the end of the year too, I think, is a good equalizer, and probably a lot of people rest their laurels on that. That okay, we'll see the best guys from the minor hockey system here at the end of the year, right? We'll see them apples versus apples, and then right. that's kind of so you're letting some. I shouldn't say you're letting, but the assumption is we're letting somebody else do that work to identify those top guys. Now we're going to bring them in, and we're going to see them against these other top guys, and uh, and and that's where they'll you know the pecking order will be will be determined which makes total sense. And that's why I kind of feel bad for these guys this year that didn't have that opportunity because there's a lot of good players in that major Bantam league that, you know, one, for instance, and I don't know if you ever saw him, but like for the most outstanding player, Addison C, I, I never, I never saw him play, but I mean, he, he led the, the league in points. It's a good league. Kid doesn't get drafted. Like there was an article on him in a local paper. thought he was maybe going to go be a high pick and just didn't even get taken. Like right. to me, that's amazing. Like, and crazy. Like either that league is awful or like it just wasn't watched enough. It, well, it, you for sure it wasn't watched enough for sure. Because even when 
like I, you know, there's uh, the Vancouver Canadians that, that are, you know, one of the teams in the league and the Okanagan Rockets, two of the better teams. Uh, they get invited to go to these other tournaments because they're a good team. So because they're at the, they've kind of established their, themselves at the top of that major Bantam league. Well, now they do want to see those guys against. So maybe the guys at the next level, you know, maybe the next two teams and the next two teams, they're fighting it out amongst the group inside that uh, that major Bannon group, and they don't get that maybe that that extra level of exposure. But here's what I would say to that: is that you know, again, remembering what we said earlier, the Western Hockey League, they're they're drafting these guys probably a year too young. That, that is a fact, um, comparative to say the other two you know major junior leagues in in Canada. Um, a lot of stuff happens between that 14 and 15 year old year. Like things are going to change again as these guys you know, start this fall and obviously end at this time next, next year. Um, I don't, I, I think that there's a chance that this major Bantam group would go. I, I, I really hope that it does for exactly the reason that you said, do I put $30,000 into an Academy that I can't afford? Like if you can afford it, then pay it. Who can, nobody cares. I like, can go. But if, if you're like, I'm going to mortgage the house so my son can play here. I, I think it's okay to play major Bantam. And okay not to be drafted. Right. Like, I, I just do. Like, you can't – if you're putting all your eggs into this basket of being drafted, and that's why I'm going there, I'm just telling you it's – it's the fruit that you're looking for is probably not there. And I get – there's guys that are drafted or not drafted that get put on teams as list players. Um, they get on – I picked – there's a kid last year, and he, and he didn't play he, – he did play in the CSSHL, but he did not get drafted. Not – and I looked, I watched this, this kid later, right after the, uh, the, the NHL draft in Vancouver, I went out and watched this kid play. And I love this kid. And I probably saw this team play 10 times. And I'm like, how come I didn't see this kid at this level? And I literally beat it up. And then I met with him and I, you know, I, I challenged him a little bit. Then I went out and watched him play. But he wasn't drafted in the Western League. I, I think that this kid's going to be a really good player at, at, at some point, but he's got time to grow and develop and mature and get physically stronger. Um, but all of these guys would have that, that same opportunity if you don't just hang your hat on, well, I put everything into this and this, you know, I came out with nothing. Because nothing is puck touches and skating and opportunity and now what happens next year? And now what happens the year after that? So I, I get it, like the top guys, you know, say the first three rounds of the Western League draft, to be oh, these guys are all really good players and they're, and they're going to make it. I'm telling you from my experience, they're not all making it either. Yeah. So, it, I, you know, I tell guys, look, you look at your draft year and then go back five years. Go, go back to the Western League and look at the rosters of all of the teams five, and, and, and look to see how many guys that were drafted in the first round didn't play any meaningful games in the Western Hockey. How many guys in the second round? And then, and then there's a guy that was drafted in the ninth round, you know, and he played, you know, 200 plus games, got drafted in the NHL, and he's, you know, he's already played 50 games in the NHL. Yeah. How bad do you want it? What are you willing to, to invest into it? So don't get caught up into it. Uh, like, but I, under, I understand the draw, but at the same time, you, you got to look at this and say, how is this going to impact me and my family for the rest of my life too? And what could I do with that money to help my, my son from a development standpoint if I just put, say, an extra 15 grand into my jeans and put 
put $5,000 into skating and shooting and, and skill development and physical development, how much better would he be? I'm, I'm pretty confident. Maybe he's not playing at that same level, but there's still lots of room for development there. Yeah. No, I agree. I talked to one, one, uh, one WHL scout who said, who said like the, the academy guys, he called them more polished. He said they're, usually, they're, they're more polished at that age. Like, so they'll, they'll come out of those programs a little shinier. Um, but it doesn't mean that they, they keep going there, you know, like that a lot of these guys that do play in these different programs end up, end up catching them at some point, you know, so you're getting a little more polished prospect early on. Uh, it doesn't always, uh, you know, mean that that's the way it ends up at the end of the day. And that's what I say too. It's, it's, a, it's an ego thing really for parents and it's an ego thing for players too. You want to get drafted, you want to get recognized. Um, and you have to pay, sometimes you got to pay dollars for that. If you can get over that fact that that really doesn't identify you or even categorize you as where you're going to end up when you're 16 or 17 years old at all, right? It's, it's, right. A, it, it, it's, it's the actual where you plan, your puck touches, how, how, what you're doing away from the rink, all these things. You will end up in the WHL if you're good enough to be there. I mean, and I, even if you want to play in the Western League, yeah. you know, like you said, right. there's a different runway. You just got to look at it and say, well, if I'm not getting all the love and attention, maybe there's another option. What do I do? Yeah. How do I continue on this journey and help myself be better? How do I, uh, you know, what, what am I going to do to challenge myself inside of whatever group that I'm on? So, like, you know, whatever that current team is and whatever that direction is. I just think that there's, there, there's, there's enough. Like, one of the Western League guys said this to me as we talked about the guys that played in the major band, like there's these, these two players that I'm talking about that, that we work with and, and help with some guidance. And he said to me, well, they'll really have to show, you know, what they can do this next year. Like, like this 15 year old year, like, cause now they're going to be, and I'm thinking they still can't play in the Western hockey league at 15. You still can't play in the BC hockey league. Like that's not even true. It's like, what do you need to do to get better? So, like, if the guys have a great year this year, and, and, and I tell guys, great year doesn't mean 30 goals and 30 assists. It means you played lots, you competed hard, you got some good instruction, hopefully, and if you didn't, you found it somewhere else. Um, and, but you feel like at the end of the year that your game has gotten better. Okay, now what are you going to do? What's that next offseason going to be like for you? The guys that invest into it, if, there's just a different level of opportunity. You don't have to worry about whether or not somebody drafted me. You know, I, you just don't. And there is a level of, I think, comfort in being a bit of a free agent too. In, in, as, a, as a young kid, I'm not like, you know, you could be drafted by a team in Saskatchewan that maybe you don't want to go to. Or maybe you're from Saskatchewan and you get dra drafted by a team in BC that you don't want to go to. Yeah. The, the reality is, if you're not drafted, I can be a free agent. I can kind of pick, pick and choose. If somebody puts me on a list, I can tell them I have no interest in playing the Western Hockey League. I can tell you, you're probably not going to stay on that list for very long. Right, right. Yeah, no, for sure. When, um, when you guys are trying to identify players or if parents are worried, uh, you know, about that scenario, like, do you, do you go in with a number, like a quota? Like, I, I, we want to pick up X amount of guys this year. Uh, is, there, is there a philosophy to how you do things? Or is it just like who you like and, 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 and try and create the relationship and see if it's going to work out? There's, no, there's absolutely no criteria for, for number. Um, I, I think, you, you know, you do this long enough and you see certain things that's you know, players kind of present when they're, when they're playing the game that you like. And, 
sometimes you love, but sometimes there's things that you don't like, but you think if I work with them, I think I can help them here. Um, there's some guys that are outright. There's one thing that you like, and you know it's going to be a really big project, and it's going to be a long, but 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 you like it enough that you're you know you're willing to kind of you know put the time and energy into it. Um, you know, I, I'm fortunate. I work with a really great group of guys, and 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 these guys are out and they're doing their due diligence, and we kind of beat it up and talk about you know different guys and and, and where they're at and stuff. Um, but it's more of a feel. Like I, I'll watch the game and. If I see something and I know that maybe a colleague of mine is, is um, you know, maybe recruiting a player on, on a team, and I'm like, well, listen, I would recruit this kid too because I, I really like this kid. I think that, you know, he might be shorter and smaller and all of that stuff right now, but it's, there's some intangibles there that I think that he's going to be a very good player moving forward. That's, and that's up to them if they want to take that, that road. And then there's other ones where I watch and it's like I, I, I see it, and you you see something that that you know that everybody doesn't have, and uh, I can tell you again, it's it's uh, you know it's the the world that we're dealing with right now. The beginning of May, usually there's the uh, the U15 starts in in Penticton, so all of the kids that would be first year Bantams this or second year Bantams this coming year would you know would go to this um, uh, U15 thing. So all the O6s, I wouldn't say all, but a lot of them would go there. And I remember going there last year. I hadn't really been there that, that much because at the time it kind of seems like it's you're getting ahead of the game a little bit, like with the ages and a lot of things changed and stuff. They haven't played any real meaningful games that you've seen. But I watched this kid last year, and I was just like, he and he's and he is he is a like a big kid, um, size, strength, uh, height, but. It's not his size, strength, and his height that I, I love, like how he processed the game and how he thought and his puck touches and, and stuff. And I'm watching this kid and I'm, I'm watching him more and more. And I, you know, I picked up the phone after the thing and I called his mom. And I'm like, I'm sure that people are going to call because your son is, you know, he's a really big young man. But that's not why I'm calling. I just see some things that he does that other guys don't do. And I think with some direction, this guy, you know, has a chance to be you know, has a chance to be a player. So, um, you know, they're on board and we're working with them in the whole bit, but I don't, you know, I don't look at it like, okay, well now I got to go get another one or, get another, you know, another player. It's a little bit organic in that, you know, you, I, I get a lot of people that call me, a lot of people that, you know, uh, you know, maybe want an advisor or want an agent, um, want information, um, you know, I make sure that I let people, I mean, my job is as a, as an agent, obviously I'm trying to find players that I'm going to help and, and guide and hopefully at some point be NHL players. I realize that it's, it's, you know, statistically it's not going to happen for everybody, but I also know that there's not a lot of resources out there where people can pick up a book and say, well, now what? So I have lots of clients that call me and say, do you mind talking to so-and-so because their son, you know, would like some information and, and, um, by all means, give them my number. And we, you know, we have a conversation. A lot of times it ultimately leads to the, the question, well, how do I get you to work for me or with me? And I'm like, well, what I'm telling you right now is that you can phone me and I'll kind of beat up any kind of question that's going on. But I need to see, obviously, your son play and spend some time watching and kind of understanding maybe the direction that they're going is to, you know, to, to take that to, to another level for sure. No, and that's the way to do it. And I think, you know, I wouldn't say this if I didn't think that you were in line with it, but I think 
I think people get caught up sometimes, and I speak from this from, from personal experience, in, in the ego side of the agent too. And not, I mean, your, your agency is 100% reputable and have tons of great NHL players and have been around a long time. But I remember when I was picking my agent, um, it was like Mike Barnett called me, who was Wayne Gretzky's agent and who had, right. you know, these other guys. And he took me to this, you know, a, a playoff game that Gretzky was playing in <laughs> right against Calgary. And, right. Right. I mean, it was, it was a done deal because it, yeah. because of who he was and what IMG was and who they had, right? And yeah. because I was felt that the creme de la creme, I was with the creme de la creme, and it was just like it was me feeling good about myself. Whereas uh, a guy like Tom Laidlaw, who's been a guest on this podcast, um, was just getting going at the time. He and, and by the way, Mike Barnett's a very a real good guy, and I still saw him, and he was nice. But it was just it was just different. He had way more guys. He had right. way bigger fish to fry, right? And Tom was just getting going. Really good, down to earth, authentic guy. I really got along with him, but he was new, and he wasn't the shiny penny. And I decided to go with with Barnett and IMG, and it was a wrong choice. It really was at the end of the day, right? I, I was a guy who needed someone that would pick up the phone and call me and, you know, someone that I could talk to and someone that was interested in me as a person, you know, that had time. And I just say that now to my guys too, like, you know, I mean, pick the person, you know, pick the guy you're talking to, like, make sure you like him, make sure that right. you got a relationship there because one, you have to care about your guys, right? Like, I mean, there's a personal aspect to this other than just being a hockey player. You right. want to look forward to that phone call and that player should want to look forward to it too, right? And I think when you have that at the starting point, I think you got a pretty good thing. Yeah, and, and you know what? I'll, I'll go one step further. It's not just looking forward to the call from the player, but there's a relationship with the family and kind of them understanding that, you know, they're part of this process. And, um, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, you, you never know what other people are thinking. Like, it's like, you know, you're in a room or you're having a conversation or you're in a restaurant somewhere and you're having a coffee and you're talking about, you know, what you do. Um, and, and honestly, at the, at the beginning, I didn't really know, you know, how to present that, Jason, but I look at it now. I just present myself. I just tell people, this is what I do. I, I work really hard. I, I work for my clients. If your son doesn't make it to the NHL, I'm still going to be in, involved in his life. If he, if he, if he calls me and says he's got a job in New York city because he graduated from college and I'm like, you know, it, 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 it makes me just as happy to hear that as it does to say that, you know, he, you know, he signed his NHL deal and he's, you know, and he's, he's playing the NHL now. It's just part of the relationship. So I love that. And I, and I will tell you like one quick story, um, uh, Ryan Johansson and his younger brother, Lucas Johansson are, are clients of mine and, and, uh, the family, he's just a phenomenal family. And I remember going and meeting his dad for, for the first time and sitting across and I thought, this guy's just a, you know, he's a regular guy like me. Um, I think he gets it. Um, he understands he's, there's no, uh, Hey, my kids are the greatest kids ever. Like as far as hockey players, uh, you know, they need to work on some things just like everybody else does. And, um, I have an incredible relationship with him. I, I love him like a, like a friend. Um, but he said something to me in, in maybe in choosing our group and they had obviously all the big, you know, all the big companies coming and banging down their door too. He said to me, you know, Joey, he goes, I felt like I would, I could always pick up the phone and, and, and call you. And he goes, I was pretty sure that some of these big guys, I, I wasn't going to get that. And I, I felt good because I do feel that way about all of these guys. And you know, there's a, there's a time when a kid he's playing as a 19 and 20 and you're wondering like, like, I just want to make sure that he's got a, 
not, not even an NHL career, if that's not the direction, if that's not happening for him, but that we've got other things lined up and he is going to school and stuff like that. But I still look forward to his call. Like when he called, you know, and this is, this is going on and we have a conversation um, or his family calls me, I'm as uh, equally happy to hear from them as I would. And that's the relationship that you have and the time that you, you spend with, not just with the player, but with the families too. Right. So it, it does mean something for sure. No, well, good for you. I mean, you guys classify yourselves as a, as a boutique agency and, uh, you know, there's not a definition of what that means, but, but I assume that means, I mean, like you're, you got a small group of guys and you do it on purpose so that it's not just a mass numbers thing and get as many people as you can and, and see what happens at the end of the day, right? Like you're, 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 you're actually focused on developing that person and that player. And, and because of that, you can only have a, f- a small amount of guys. Well, I, there's an, it's accountability. It's like, it's, you know, you're sitting in a room and I'm talking to you about you and your son or, 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 you know, a parent and their, and their son. And we're, we're having a conversation. Um, number one, I have to believe it. I have to believe that I'm going to spend the time and work with you to help you, not, not just your son, but you and, and your, your, you know, your, 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 your wife and your and there's grandparents involved and the, the whole bit to, to help, you know, guide them. And, and so I believe that first. Um, but I think that there's an execution part of it that you have to, you know, stand up and hold up. And um, that I'm very proud of, not just myself, but the group that we have, because I do think that that is first and foremost, is that you have this relationship and you work that relationship with them so that, you know, you're, you're, you are pulling on the rope in, in the same direction. So sure. it's very valuable to me. Like I, I can't, somebody asked me one thing, what's the best part about this? What's the best part about being an agent and, 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 and working with these guys? And like, there's so many different, you know, layers to, you know, what, what the best part would be, would be. But I will tell you, it's the relationships that you have with these people. Um, it's just, it's phenomenal. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. And I, you know, I, I, I look forward to it, but it also makes sure that I am accountable and I'm picking up the phone and I'm trying to do what I can to help these guys right. in, in any possible way, right. whether they're, you know, they're, they're on the trajectory that they're still, you know, playing and they're, they're making it to the national hockey league, or he's going to go play in the, you know, Canadian college somewhere. Uh, it's important to me. Well, it sounds like your organization as well has people, you know, like you said, you've been in the been in it now for 20 years, and even before that, in in hockey, right? You've been involved in hockey essentially your whole life. So there's a wealth of knowledge there. But if there's maybe something that somebody's asking you about that's not right in your wheelhouse, you have guys in the organization that you can say, well, hey, go call whoever, Kevin Bieksa, or you know, or pick up the phone. Kessler is probably who you should talk to for this. Like, I mean, you you have this little infrastructure there that that guys can turn to other people as well, correct? No, oh, that, that, that is a hundred percent accurate. And I, and I'm very candid with people because I, I mean, you, you have this experience, you work with people, you work with teams at, you know, the, you know, junior A level, the, the Western league level, the, the American league, the NHL level, but you know what? None of us has all the answers, but I just tell people like, you know, there's going to come some, something's going to come up. I will work to find that answer. And it might be some guidance from somebody that's, you know, played the game, um, it might be somebody that's some guidance that's coached that, you know, at that level. Um, but we're going to find that answer. We're going to put that in front of you. And it might be going back to an earlier conversation. It might be talking to somebody about mental health. It might be some, like, how do I get out of this? This is what's going on. What do we do? Pain. Let's, let's just sit down. Let's digest this a little bit. Okay. We, um, there's a, you know, a, a lady that I know here that's, you know, that type of thing. And 
I can tell you that that's part of, of, of trying to, you know, kind of solve the, the, you know, the daily issue, which, which, which might be going on that like at the time it's these, these, in these mental things of, it might be really tough, but we got, we got to find a way to get through it in order for you to kind of, you know, survive and get better and feel good about yourself as well. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I, I'm a big advocate for, for preparing for something that you might not even know you have to prepare for yet. And I think that's one of the great things that a, that an agency can do is, you know, prepare these guys for what's to come because, you know, when you're in, I, mean, I can use my, my own scenario again, for, uh, as an example, like my first pr professional trade at the trade deadline, my first year pro, um, was, was in the minor leagues after playing 19 games in the NHL, got a phone call that I was traded to Toronto, um, new organization, new coaches, new players, new everything, right. Different right. league. Um, yeah. and now all of a sudden go, go figure it out. You know I mean? And the, and the message to me was, well, go work hard, you know, like here's your chance. And it was like, that was so, it, it, it happened like that. Right. But I could have right. been, I could have been preparing for that. You know, I could have been doing things. I could have, there was stuff that, that I could have done now that I know about now that I help my players with now that, that prepares you for stuff like that. Right. So it's, it's tough when you're 17, 18, 19, you think you're bulletproof, right? <laughs> right like every, right. everyone thinks you, know it all. you got it yeah, all figured we out. We got it all figured out. It's all good. Right. But it's like, there's, there's a way to connect with these guys that gets, that does get them ready. Cause they start thinking about things a little bit differently. And, and that whole development aspect is, is a big deal, which was lead me to my next question, Joe is, um, so you guys have, uh, you guys want to develop your players the best you can. You, you see your players on a day-to-day -day basis. You know them, not day-to-day, -day, but you I mean you see them, you talk to them, you know what they're about. Now they get drafted by WHL teams. Now this WHL team has this vision for this player. Uh, yeah. They have their own development strategy potentially. Same thing will happen at the NHL level. Do you guys ever get into conflict or do you guys try and have an agreement on what is best for this player moving forward? Or what's the relationship right with the teams once these guys get identified by somebody? Well, I think first off, I think they're, um, they're appreciative that we care about, you know, what that development is because they're going to be the ones that are going to benefit from this as well as the player, yeah. um, that we do take an active role and we are asking the guys who their trainers are and what they're doing and, and how they do it. You know, some teams kind of have a model. Um, unfortunately, you know, in the, in the training part of this, and I'm sure that you've been faced with this is a bit of a cookie cutter approach and, here's our program. This is what we want you to do this summer. And um, I'm not saying they haven't put thought into it and it's, there's some really good stuff in there, but you've got guys that are six foot five and guys that are five foot six. Are they doing the same things? They probably shouldn't be. And so there is an individual kind of part of this thing that we like to make, you know, sure that people are aware of. Um, I have had conversations with Western league teams, um, college teams, pro teams, just about what that looks like for the player. Uh, I've had players that have, you know, called me at the college level and said, Joe, we have a, a football trainer that's training us and I don't believe that we're being trained the right way. Okay, let's talk about it. So we beat it up a little bit. They talk about it. They also have these kind of high-end trainers that maybe guys that they work with in groups and stuff when they, when they go back home. So they know what what that level is and they know what they're doing. So I, I would pick up the phone. I would have a conversation with their coaches and, and talk about it and uh, make sure that if there's issues that we're trying to solve the issues, uh, I will tell you, most of them are really open to the idea. Uh, they want the players to get better. They want, you know, the best for them. And they also realize that there's only so much time that they have to commit to that. 
So maybe having somebody else like is, is equally important to them and maybe a benefit to them that, you know, I'm going out of my way to make sure that they're being trained the right way. So, gotcha. uh, and, and, and it's not, it, every, every league is a little bit different on what they give. Um, but I'm, we check in with our guy. I want to know what our guys are doing. I want to know what they're training. I've got, you know, guys that are the, 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 the Oh four group that maybe is going to make the transition to play in the Western league this year, a 16 year old, like we're having conversations. I want to know what they're doing. Like I, I and, and if they're telling me, Hey, here's my training thing. I'm not going to say right away, but I would say within a couple of days, I'm picking up the phone and I'm calling their Western League team if they've signed and saying, hey, I'm just, by the way, I've had this conversation. This is what they're doing. Because they, I mean, they're pretty appreciative knowing that, okay, well, you know, this guy's coming and he's going to be prepared when he gets here. Right. No, I I like how you talk about the individualization, which is is so critical. I I, I think there is, there is a, you know, a nuanced path for everybody, right? Everyone needs different things. And I say that to, to a lot of the guys, I'm like, you know what, like, what if everybody did just the program that that team sent out? I mean, where's your advantage in that? Right, right, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, if you're a seventh There's rounder, no advantage. Yeah, exactly. you have no advantage. So even though you think you're working hard, you got to start thinking outside the box about what your standard is and what you need to do to be able to close whatever gap it is you need to close or to lengthen the gap on the guys trying to chase you, right? So, um, right. and that was something that I didn't, I mean, I, I talk about that now as something I didn't learn at the time. I learned about like working hard within that box that they gave you, but it's like, why not think outside that box? Cause that should really be the bare minimum that you're doing is what they're right. giving you. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, when the guys start thinking that differently and again, getting, getting curious, right. Getting creative. Like, what is, what is this for me? What do I need that's outside of this program? Right. Like right. that, those are the questions you got to start asking. Right. If you're really taking this serious. Well, I, I think, cause I asked the kids too. I mean, we have a conversation and say, okay, at the end of the year, we're going to, we're going to talk about the season. We're going to talk about kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I'm going to tell you what I think. I also want to know what you think, but I also um, want you to have some input on the direction that we take from here. So if somebody says, you know, they, they give you something that you're not good at, what are you not good at that you need to get better? Okay. So we need to figure that out. Yeah. So we need to, we need to make sure that that tool is in place to make sure that you have that. And, and, and now they're buying in because they've made that commitment. They understand that they're, without beating themselves up or me beating them up, they're understanding that there are some things that they need to get better. Not just the, the, the generalities of it. You need to get bigger and stronger and, and uh, quicker and fast. I mean, those are, those are great things. But ultimately, what do you need that might be different from somebody else? And, and they see things throughout the game. Like I remember – I remember one time Kyle Turris was talking to a young group of guys that we had and Kyle said, because somebody asked him like, what are you doing to kind of stay at the top of your game? And he talked about doing a turn. It's just a simple turn and how he would work on this turn on the ice. And the idea being is that if I can make a transition, say from North to South, just, you know, a quarter of second quicker, what would that mean for me? And I, you know, you look around the room and these guys were young guys at the time and they're thinking, Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, you know what it means at the NHL level. That, that quarter second means a lot. But here's a guy that's playing at the NHL level, and he's trying to figure out a way to make that happen. I just, you know, to, to be a little bit self-reflective and trying to figure out, hey, listen, not everybody's good at everything. So how do I make, how do I make sure that I'm better at everything? Yeah, no, and that's a growth mindset piece, which, uh, which has become in vogue and, and is starting to infiltrate the, uh, the National Hockey League. But is that something that you guys – 
teams are starting to test for it now too. And I, to me, it's something that can be trained, but the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset that you mean that everything can be improved and be developed and having that, you know, that focus when you wake up in the morning, that what am I going to do today to get better? Do you guys, you guys look at that with your players at all? It's kind of how they're predisposed in that aspect. I, I think so. I think that comes, you know, when you're evaluating, like I, I have this thing where I'm, you know, everybody's different and everybody kind of brings a different set of skills and stuff. But I think that there's guys that on teams, uh, in leagues, uh, some guys are drivers. And, and those guys can, kind of, they can, they can drive a team to be better. They can drive their teammates to be better. Certainly they're driving themselves because they have this relentless approach to it. Um, and I, I look at that part of it, like what, what mentally does that guy need? Because why isn't the guy beside him doing it? Why is, he, why is the guy beside him? Like, this guy's just crushing it. He's like, go, 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 go. And then, you know, there's just a guy kind of skating around in there. Like, why, is it, why doesn't he feel the same way or feel like he needs to compete the same way? Well, it happens at the NHL level. You know, it, it just does. You can, see, um, you, can, you can see the guys that kind of want to drive the team and want to be better and they're competitive. And then sometimes there's passengers. And I'm not saying if you're like, a, you know, you got a great shot and I'm just going to stay on the outside. These guys are going to give the puck to me all day and I'm going to shoot pucks. Well, if that's your game, well, you know, good on you if you can be successful at it. Very tough to be successful at that any anymore in this game. But I, I get, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. When Kenny Holland was in uh, Detroit and uh, I was down and this is around Dylan's uh, uh, last contract negotiation and, uh, Kenny calls me. He knows I'm at the rink. I'm at, at, the, at the, the new rink at uh, Little Caesars. And he calls me down and he says, uh, can, you, can you come down and meet me in my office? And I go down there. So I like to watch warm-up and stuff. And these guys all know that. I'm like, it's kind of a, the whole experience. You're watching the, the whole thing. He calls me down there. I'm like, ah, man, I'm going to miss warm-up. But okay, I'll go. I'm sitting in his office. I was literally in his office through warm-up, through the first period, through the second period. We got the TV on. He's got the big TV on. But we're having that exact conversation because I'm telling him, I'm like, Dylan Larkin's a driver. He drives this team. He, there's, he's going to make every guy around him better. And I could watch the screen and I could tell you the guys that were kind of basically on his back waiting for him to do all of these things. And, uh, you know, Kenny are just kind of, you know, you know, maybe beating up the roster a little bit as, as we're looking at it. But that is the reality. So if I go and watch a kid playing, he's 14, 15 years old, and he's skating around and he's skating around and he's got good skills, but, but he's just not taken at that, that next level. I ask myself, is it because he's just not physically ready? Because sometimes that's the case. He's just, like there are big players that in the game, as you know, does hurt sometimes. So if you're not ready for that, is that because he doesn't want to? And it's not about being afraid even though some Western League guys might think that. This guy's afraid. He's not afraid. He's just not ready. But when he gets the puck, does he try to protect the puck? You know, is he willing to kind of put the leg down and kind of drive into the net? Like, guys will do it. And, and you know, the guy that kind of starts to separate himself is that, that player that has that drive. And I do think it's a huge kind of uh, – it's, it's like a mental skill that I'm willing to do this because it means that much. And then the rest of the guys start to, you know, kind of grab onto that and get better. You get a, you get a team of six or eight guys like that on our team, you got a chance to be a really good team. Oh, 100%. And, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, there's even there's even research done now, and and I've seen it and played in it, where like where an organization itself can have like a, it's like a growth mindset organization, where it's like you're promoting guys to get better, like you want these guys to improve and to look at their development as something that that the whole is doing right, and then right. and that starts from a guy like Kenny Holland at the top, and there's other guys that are totally not like that, right? It's like you show up at camp and you know, we're not worried about your development. It's just who, whoever has the, the, the best day is, is showing up. Right. And, and that's right. a way different environment to uh, operate in. So, I mean, at the pro level, it, it's really crazy. And I think it's becoming more, much more of a topic of conversation is, is these guys, how you approach, like you said, the mental skill of how you approach your, your craft, your career, right. right. Because there is, there is a way to go about it that serves you and others, uh, which also serves championships and winning and, and, right. uh, and that starts with the person and, and, the, and the head. So interesting that you talk about that. I, 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 uh, it's, it's really, really powerful to see it when you see it firsthand. Like, and when the best of the best are like that, and we just we, we lost one of them in Kobe Bryant, right? Like right. when you get these right. guys with this skill set that start thinking this much differently, like not only are they constantly pushing to elevate themselves, but they're constantly pushing everyone else around them. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, I mean, and that's a really, really cool thing to see and a really powerful thing to see and a great example for these young guys now that they can see that this is how it actually works, how it can, you know. Um, Last question, Joel. We've talked, it's crazy. I mean, we start talking about hockey and it always goes like this. I really appreciate your time. But one of the things I'd like to know is sometimes parents think that you guys are super influential, maybe rightfully so, maybe not. Just when the, as far as the involvement is with a coach or with a team or maybe handling a problem, like, what is what do you, would you say you guys do or don't do when it comes to like the nuances of a season? And maybe a kid's not on a power play, or maybe a coach doesn't like them. Or do you get involved with that, or do you encourage your player to handle that? Or I mean, how how what's the philosophy there at Ko Sports when it comes to conflict resolution? Uh, great question. A uh, lot of things that we talked about previously, kind of uh, kind of piggyback onto this about you know. Um, a problem and how to deal with that problem. And, and we encourage players to have conversations with coaches. We em- encourage players to have relationships with coaches so that they understand that this is going on and they're able to, uh, to have a conversation. I always ask the question, what's your relationship with your coach? And you know, it's good. Well, so like when you're at practice, can you tap them on the skate and say, Hey coach. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's no problem. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's number one. Some, some guys aren't like some guys might be very uh, standoffish. It's, you know, I'm the coach, you know, you, 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 I tell you to jump, you say how high and that's it. Um, there are still some of those guys out there. There's getting to be less of them. And I think guys need to understand that, you know, that the player now is different than the player was like two or three years ago or, or even 15 or 20 years ago. So understanding how to adapt to that, I think it, it is key. But having those conversations, talking about it, um, I would say from a communications perspective, we're advocates. We're, we are advocates for that player in, in, in a lot of different layers. We, we really are. So I think your relationship, meaning my relationship, say, with, um, with a, a GM, whether the GM's a you know, BC Hockey League or a Western League or American League or, or an NHL, um, it's having a relationship where you can pick up the phone and just have a conversation. It's not always about beating somebody up. It's not always about talking about uh, ice time and opportunity. It's just talking about direction. Again, remember what we talked about. What, what does my player need to do to be better? So in general, there's, um, 
there's kind of like the, you know, the soft sell approach where we have a conversation, we tell the player that they have to take responsibility. It's part of being a human being and having a conversation. Now, if there's zero traction and they need to kind of have, well, hey, well, this isn't going on. I'm doing what I, what you told me to do, but I'm only playing five minutes a game. Okay. Well, maybe I have to have a conversation with the GM and say, is there a reason why this player is only playing five minutes a game? Geez, I didn't even know he was only playing five minutes a game. Well, he is. So if there's a reason, we need to kind of figure out what that reason is because he's not going to get a lot of development playing five minutes a game. So, you know, we might have that conversation and, and he may say, well, it's not about having it going down and knocking on the coach's door and saying, you know, I demand that you play this player more. I demand that he gets on the power play. You're just trying to maybe facilitate some kind of traction where there's some kind of change. Right. And ultimately, it doesn't always work. I mean, you've, I'm sure you've been part of it. I know most of the you know, players that I've been involved with, you have that, that, that coach or that uh, situation where you cannot get out of it. And you have to go a little bit deeper and maybe have a little bit more of a, a communication and say, you know, I've called up GMs and said, okay, listen, so we've gone down every route. The players talked to the coach and he said he's doing everything right, but he's not getting this or he's doing everything wrong, but I've seen the games and I've watched the video and I'm not seeing what this guy's seeing. And, I, and I've seen this at every level. Uh, and, and I had a player one time that was playing in the American Hockey League and um, he got a, a coach, you know, basically he couldn't do anything right. And I just said to him, can you just send me your shifts? Send me your shifts. So he sends me the link. I watch the shifts and I'm watching and I'm waiting for him to make these errors that they're talking about. And I'm like, it was shift after shift, and, and they were almost vanilla because he's just making the right play, right? I think he made one puck rolled off his stick in, in, in the whole – and so I said to him, I go, okay, okay, let's, let's have this conversation. Do you have, like, video? Yeah, we do video. Head coach? Yeah, do video. Okay, so you need to go in and say, coach, can we come in and, and do the video? He said, yeah. He sat in there with the coach for this entire length of, the, of his shifts in the game, which as you know, when you string them all together, it's not a lot. And then he said, the coach turns to him and he goes and says, well, I guess you're right. You weren't that bad after all, right? Like, what do you say? He's like, okay, okay. you know, but I, I mean, that's, that is the, the reality. And you're, but you're giving him that guidance at the Western League level. You know, maybe they're not getting that feedback or the video that, that you would want. You know, I have had to pick up the phone at times and say, hey, listen, like, my player wants to be there. He wants to be part of the team. He wants to contribute. I don't see that happening. We've gone year one, and it hasn't happened. We've gone year two, it hasn't happened. We're halfway through year two. If you don't see this changing, then we have to try to figure something out. And, you know, sometimes it ends up being that you're then maybe uh, kind of advocating a trade somehow, some way to make sure that uh, – you know, he has a different uh, scenery and, uh, you know, a different location to play in. Right. But it, it does happen. Yeah. No, and those are tough. And I think, uh, I don't know if you see it. I mean, I see it a little bit with these, like the, the parent starts at, at the parents uh, level with clearing the path, right? Like any little thing comes up, like they're knocking it down, right? Because little Johnny cannot experience any adversity and this is not okay. And, uh, and then when it gets to this older levels where now the parents are removed from the situation, right? You're talking WHL, Junior A, and now Johnny's, you know, should be dealing with this stuff on his own, right? right? right. Like he can't. 
yeah, yeah. But, but can't or is unable to. So, um, it, you know, I've never heard a coach yet that says, you know what, I don't want, I would rather talk to the agent than the player. Right. right. Like may, maybe back in the day, but not in this generation. So like those people skills are important. And it sounds like you, I mean, you really encourage that, which I'm a big advocate of, right? Like go knock on the door, go tap him on the pads, right? Ask him what you need to do. Right. Just make right. sure you follow through with what he tells you to do. And then at least you're doing your part. Right. And, and, and he, he may give you something that you're already doing or in your mind that you already do. But I'm just, I always say to the player, well, then you got to reinforce it. And you got to say, a great coach, yeah, I, I, I get it. So we'll, I'm going to do this, you know, what you asked me to do. And then, you know, I'm, I know we're going to do a video again. And then, you know, we'll have that conversation. So he's told him to do something that he may have already been doing. Now he's going to go out. The, the coach, I always tell the guys, you're just trying to plant a seed in his mind. So when he's standing behind you, that he has an idea what he told you to do. Now you go out and execute on that. He might be in his mind going, check. He might not see the play, but you know. So you can always kind of revisit and say, hey, let's, can we watch? I, I, you know, I only got seven minutes again today. Is there something that I was doing wrong in those seven, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And then you've got something there. You're just trying to tweak the guy a little bit where he goes, okay, well, I did tell him this. So, so I, you know, I, I better at least try to, find a way to come through. Yeah. And there are, unfortunately, there are guys that are not very approachable and you got to find a way to get to those guys too. Yeah. And that's where good assistant coaches come into, come into yeah, play. Yeah, 100%. Sure. Yeah, like your bro, Dave. <laughs> uh, super great. Uh, well, you know what? We'll wrap it up. Is there anything that you would want to leave with as far as talking to young players out there? And the, you know, the, the, and that's really essentially what this show is all about, right? I mean, the, the journey of getting wherever it is you want to go, whether that be a major junior career or you know, a Div, Div, Div 1 scholarship or an NHL career, um, there's different ways to get there and there's different advice that can be given. But is there something that you'd give the young guys out there that you know, is your one thing as far as advice to, to get to where they want to go? Yeah, you know, I would I would say this, and it's uh, I, I want to make sure I define it the right way. As I say, you, you got to be patient with the process. Like everybody wants to get there now. You want to get there yesterday. I I, I want to get to that next level, and the the process takes time. You, you know, you go through you know your your bad year. You may or may not have been drafted. Okay, is 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 your career over? No, um, it hasn't even begun yet, right? But it's like, be patient with that part of it, but, but don't be patient with your ability to make differences in your game. The guys that make the differences, they get the traction and they move ahead. So there's lots of things you can't control. You know, you, you, you worked your butt off all year and you didn't get drafted and there's 22 teams that went, went by and 14 times and, and your name didn't get called. Okay, let's go to work. You figure that part of it out. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't control that. The kid that played in, you know, the, the major Bannon League that didn't get drafted, you couldn't control that. He played the league. He played his game. He didn't get drafted. Let's move on. So the, that's the part where you got to be patient and continue to understand that you're just starting this journey and there's lots of time left um, as far as the next level and the next level. But don't be patient with your training and, and, and your commitment to the game. The guys that make the commitment, I, I, I 100% believe that, you know, the doors open, not, not because people are rolling out the red carpet for you, but because you're kicking the door in and you're saying, I did all of these things to make sure that I was ready to play. Yeah. And that next opportunity comes, 
guess what? You're going to have to do it again and then again. And if you really, really want this, whether it's just to play junior hockey, which is okay, at the junior A level or the Western League level or uh, Canadian University hockey, it's okay. Whether, you know, you, you work really hard and you get a scholarship or you get a partial scholarship and you go to a U.S. college and, and you play your four years there, it's okay. It's okay if you don't make it to the next level. But as long as at the end of the day, whatever level that, that is, and you if you said you wanted it, you said, listen, I did everything that I could to try to make that happen. And hopefully you had some, some tools and some advice and an advocate along the way to kind of help you with that. If you feel like you've done that, I'm pretty sure you're going to be successful in life, not just worrying about your hockey career. 100%, 100%. I love what you say there because that whole idea of being patient with the process, but then committing to your process in the midst of that is like such a powerful thing because that, I mean, it's, we've touched on it again and again here during this conversation is what are your personal standards for your development? How committed right. are you to getting to where you want to go? And that's not somebody telling you what to do. I promise you that, guys. Everybody listening is not following the program, right? It's what's your program? What are you committed to and how are you going to commit to that? And then that becomes your process. And your process is your trademark. Your process is your brand. And when you commit to that thing, boy, you're, you're going to start kicking doors down because not everybody approaches it like that. That's the greatest equalizer in the world right there. I agree with that 100%. They're in control of that. They're 100% in control of that. And if they take that to another level and they understand that, there, there are going to be some opportunities that maybe haven't presented themselves at 14 or 15 or 16 years old that really might present themselves at 17, 18, 19 when it really counts. Well, that's what I say to guys I'm talking with now. I'm like, that's a pretty easy phone call to make for somebody like me to a, to a coach or a GM and say, even if you're a fringe guy, right, this guy cares. I promise you he's going to make your team better just right. by the way he operates, just by the attitude that he brings to the rink every day, right? This guy wants to get better. Guys want those guys in the room. So, I mean, not only are you getting better, but you're also making yourself a, a, a way, way shinier piece of, uh, of currency when you're walking through that door because not everyone operates that way, unfortunately. So, anyways, no, I, agree. I, I love that advice, Joe. That was awesome. I really appreciate your time. Um, awesome, awesome guest here. And um, we'll have to continue this conversation offline someday because I think we got a lot in common with it. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today to episode 16 of Up My Hockey with Joe Oliver, where we covered a lot of ground in the agency world. I hope you know more than you did prior to this episode. I know that the agency consultancy advisory role that they play is very important for a lot of players Uh, and a lot of times we often go into this scenario of selecting one with our kind of our eyes closed because we've never been through it before it's hopefully something you only do once if you select it right Um, and and different players need different types of agents so Joe obviously talked about his idea of being a boutique agency uh, what that means how the smaller numbers uh, to them means higher levels of service the, the chances of you calling them and them getting back to you is very, very high. 
they they build their they build their company off relationships and for for the right players that is exactly what some guys want we need high touch points some guys don't need as high a touch point the idea here is is to recognize what type of person you are be honest with yourself and what type of player you are be honest with yourself when do you think you need one and what type of uh, support you actually need and make the decision off of the services and the personality people involved, not on the name behind the whole machine. So uh, if that's your one takeaway, I think we did a good job here today. I really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much to Joe again for spending time with us and shedding some light in this area. And until next time, keep your head up and play hard. Jason, out. Let's move.